Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Back to Rule the Roost podcast, and welcome back, Mr. Adam Lake. It's been a while. You have been on before, but it's been a while. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm doing very well. I was uh, starting to take it personally, but uh, <laughs> yeah, lay, lay down our weapons, and we go, we go again. Well, it's just you know you've been you've been cheating on me with Spooky for a while, so you know, that is to, true. Had to try and keep your key, you know. Um, well, you've uh, done uh, a good job of that. <laughs> you basking <laughs> in the uh, in the glory of a five-one win for Tottenham Hotspur off the back of yesterday's result, then, Adam. I think with the coldest head possible, you'd have to say we're going to win the lot. I reckon so, right? I mean, it's, 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 a it's hard to take, see much it? past that. It's hard to <laughs> see much past that, I think, at this stage. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. It's on the way. I said, just give it to us now. Premier League, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about Arsenal. Declan Rice, doesn't matter. You know, just give it to Tottenham. Just honestly, save the carbon footprint for the planet for nine months and just give it all to us now. <laughs> there's just, there's no point. Yeah, we just. You know, find that time on this planet, just move on to 24-25 and uh, we'll see how we go from there. In a, in, a, in, a, in a real world scenario though, Adam, are you like, are you, hmm. you taking much from that? You know, it's, I know it's a pre-season friendly, people like to diminish it. I, I mean, I was doing that immediately afterwards when Arsenal beat Man City in the, in the Charity Shield final. doesn't mean anything, it's just a friendly. But are you taking anything from that, from the style of play at least? Yeah, it was. It struck me watching the, even the West Ham game. Um, people really fall over themselves to kind of diminish the importance of these games. And to a point, obviously they're correct because you're not playing for anything. But you can certainly spot traits in the games that you would think yeah. you can take forward for the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, everyone was saying, you know, back to the West Ham game, oh, well, you can't judge it. It's 45 minutes into into the, the new regime. But you could see plenty there that was different. And I think that carried across really nicely into the game yesterday. So you, you'd be daft to say that it's completely irrelevant because you're looking at a team that, you know, Emerson Royale is popping the ball around in centre midfield yesterday. Uh, if, that's, if, if that's not something that's very different that you can notice very quickly, uh, I don't know what you're watching. But I, I think, of course, like the the result of these games does is, is largely irrelevant. But if you're looking for traits and processes, then I think you have to be pretty optimistic about what you've seen so far. I mean, right, seeing, seeing moments yesterday when you've got four, five, six Tottenham players all around the opposition box, it's, you know, it's just back to the heady days of Harry Redknapp and Martin Yol, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many times did you watch last year and when people talked about the shape and the formation and the three at the back, I think my biggest gripe was that in, a, in the most reductive terms possible, we just seemed one person light in the areas that it mattered yeah. in front of goal. And that really is the polar opposite from yesterday, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. I, I just wanted to f- sort of get a, a feeling from you how you feel about Ange Postacoglu. Were you, I mean, were you happy with the signing of him in the first place and how are you feeling now about it? 
I think it's probably safe to say that I feel a lot more optimistic than I did. Um, I didn't necessarily uh, feel negative about Postacoglu as a person or a bloke or whatever, but I, th- I felt like we'd we'd had so long in the previous three or four years with managers who made us feel so like we should be lucky to have them that it felt like we'd gone a complete 360 and without one to disrespect Postacoglu's career so far, yeah, it was a bigger job than I imagine he would have expected he would have had 12 months ago. You know, Spurs are a massive club, whatever anyone wants to say. And I, I worried that we'd slightly gone too far to the point of having a manager that couldn't believe he got the Spurs job. But um, the way in which he comes across in the, in the media, which obviously speaking English as a first language is, is a big help there. Um, his forthrightness, the way in which he wants to get his point across. It's hard not to warm to the guy, I think. And uh, even though I think he's probably managing with half a hand behind his back due to the situation a level or two above him, I don't think you could really quibble too much at all with what he's done so far. No. Uh, he didn't seem overly happy. You can understand where he's coming from. He didn't seem overly happy in the post-match reflection, should we say, with Bayern Munich's conduct and all this, it's also quite refreshing just to have, in the way that he is, a manager that just kind of tells it as it is. And I know people will use that type of terminology as me somehow being reductive of him and what he brings to the club or anything. I'm not trying to imply that at all. But he is, you know, he's he's a big Aussie guy, right? He's very straightforward. He, he, he does have that, you know, cut through the bullshit type demeanour about him. And it has been nice to see somebody called Bayern Munich out. I know we, we're not exactly angels in the transfer market ourselves, but I don't care about that. <laughs> I care about when it's <laughs> happening to Tottenham, you know. So and it, and it has been irritating, and it's nice to see him him call that out. I, I felt so anyway. I, I don't know about you, but um, on that one with with you know we can't we can't escape from it for too long. I mean, the game was fantastic. Obviously, it was lovely to see Tottenham create that many opportunities and to score that many goals, but. The obvious elephant in the room is that, <laughs> that Harry Kane scored four of those goals. Um, mm. I mean, off the back of that, mate, just that alone, regardless of how you felt beforehand, are you kind of tempted to just tell Bayern to, to stick the money and just we go again for another year with Harry Kane? Because, I mean, the amount think- of opportunities there for him is is pretty special, right? Playing in that system, that ultra-attacking mm style of football someone like James Madison that can put on a plate for him I mean you know yeah I mean there's a lot to unpack obviously I think everyone's emotions really came to a head last week when it appeared like Friday was D-Day and it's one of those things like if I give you a choice of two things and you pick one in your heart of hearts you know if you've made the right decision and you say oh actually no I'll I'll go with the other one and on Friday after trying to rationalise with myself for two or three months that well, you know, if he's going to go, do we really want a player basically on loan for a hundred million quid? Um, it 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 really sort of came to a head with me on Friday, and I just thought that there's no situation or money possible that could be offered that would make me not want to watch Harry Kane play for Tottenham for another year. Um, and I'd be in the position where I would be binning Bayern Munich off outright, regardless of what happened from here, especially given that. You know, the season hasn't started, but when you do line up with the last preseason game before it does kick off, you kind of want to take some continuity into yeah. the first week of the season and go from there. And I think um, if it's a case of you win 5-1 and a guy scores four goals and then the next Sunday that player's not there anymore, I just think that's really poor planning on everyone's part. Yeah. And so I think 
I, th- I think you know the transfer deadline isn't for another three weeks, but in my head, the deadline at which this team can be ultimately ripped up and started again with is past. And uh, if Spurs sell Kane, then they've made the decision to lose him. I think if he goes on a free next year, you could probably say hand on heart that the club have done every single thing within their power to keep him. And I think fair play. I was listening to another, a completely different sports podcast, funnily enough, and, and one of their... One of the guys was saying, all I want is for my owner to go to bed every night thinking, have I made my team better today? And in a weird way, keeping Kane if he goes on a free, I think Levy can have a clear conscience with that. If he actively sells Harry Kane, I don't know how we can go, you know, look at himself and say, you know, am I really doing the best for my club to win? And, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's probably a basic way to look at it, but I think that's where I am right now. I, I mean, yeah, but I, I don't think it is that basic, mate. I think, I, I, you know, I agree with you entirely because, look, in the grand scheme of things, if if the numbers are kind of true, if we end up settling around a, you know, eighty-five million pounds mark, and perhaps a few add-ons that will make it to that hundred million, hundred and ten million pounds, kind of level. I mean, that money just disappears in football nowadays, you know. But we're we're mm-hmm. talking about, like you say, we're talking about Harry Kane, and I. I I am very optimistic about this, you know, this this football that Ange Postecoglou is is going to bring to Tottenham. I very much like his demeanour. I like some of the signings we've made so far. I would, wouldn't mind a few more, but you know, such as life. However, I still, I think the thing is, like, it's it's very easy to reduce this stuff to, oh, you know, it's just. Tottenham fans have been overly sentimental. Yes, he scores goals, but other players will come in and score goals and all this type of thing. I just think at the moment, after the past couple of years we've had, I mean, the past, you could say even four or five years, really, that we've had, where everything's just been pretty rocky and there's not been much continuity there, for us to be starting to build towards a more positive phase and to just rip Harry Kane out at the very beginning... I am torn because there is that I, I get it there is that part of me that thinks well it's it's out the way now we've we've it's gone there's no cloud there there's no questions all year is he you know is he going at the end of the year who's he going to sign for are you going to let him go on a free is he going to sign a new contract but I mean it, 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 in that same kind of frame of reference what we're going to have all year is why did you sell Harry Kane? Does that show the lack of ambition of the club? You could have done with Harry Kane today to put away one of those chances that James Madison created and so on and so forth. So these things are always going to get flipped on the head. I mean, I guess the crux of my point right now is that I just, I don't quite feel that, especially with Lloris going, we can all say what we want about the last couple of years that he's, he's played at the club, especially that Newcastle game. He's clearly done, but he is, he's one of the bigger personalities in the team. He's the club captain. He's, likely leaving this summer to also lose Kane as well I, th- I just think it's I think it's too much I think it's too much right now for the club for the dressing room for everyone to face let alone just his incredible ability like you say you know it, it, it we're just such a better team with him in it any any pretty much any I would go out on a limb and say any team in world football would be better for having Harry Kane in it and I think barring kind of Gareth Bale probably when he left I, I don't think I could say that of any other player. Luka Modric obviously went on to have a fantastic career and was brilliant at Tottenham, but I don't think he quite hit the heights at Spurs that you know he did latterly in his Real Madrid career whilst working under Zinedine Zidane. And that's not to take anything away from him, but what I'm saying is, is like Kane right now is is 
a phenomenon. Like he's he's a he's a world star, and I just I'm never gonna welcome. <laughs> I'm never gonna like open the exit door for somebody like that. I just, especially somebody that is so embedded within the fabric of the club, right? Yeah, I think if you were gonna offer a slight counter, um, the last four years. I've had featured managers who's basically their entire attacking system has been completely predicated on Harry Kane mm. playing to the utmost of his talent and ability. And I, I suppose yesterday the optimist could say, and maybe Postacoglu in his heart of hearts thinks the same, well, Kane scored a penalty, a good header, a decent finish and a tap-in. And the way my system is built to play the person that I put at that number nine position, I would hope, would be able to take three of those chances for the sake of argument. And it did strike me that, you know, the, the, the goal that Dane Scarlett scored yesterday, whilst, you know, great moment for him, largely inconsequential for the game, it, it was one of those things that came because Spurs continued to press in the last minute mm. to have shots and create chances. And actually, if you look at the cup games we've had at home to teams like Morecambe and Portsmouth and Conte and Mourinho perhaps in the last three or four years we got through them but we sort of won 3-1 or 1-0 by scoring the one or three chances that mm. we had in that game the volume of chances that this system creates if Kane does go I'd be less concerned now not by a huge amount but less concerned than if it was Conte's Tottenham that was having to play without Kane because that would be completely lifeless but and I'm not saying that Dane Scarlett is the person to be vaulted into the number nine position. No, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Whereas Richarlison was basically hung out to dry last year because the team didn't create any chances around him. If Richarlison played against Brentford next Sunday, I bet you he would have three good chances. Um, whether he would take them or not is a completely different matter. But the chances will be there for someone. And so I, I, it would be interesting to know what Postacoglu in his heart of hearts thinks, You know, where his percentage lies of would he rather 100 million quid or Kane for a season. I'm sure, you know, if it was an unweighted poll, he would choose Harry Kane. Mm. But it'd be interesting to hear what he thinks or, or would think if you sat him down and gave him a, a dose of truth serum because the way in which his system is developed, obviously the better players you have. And, you know, how, how many times have we said, oh my God, if Brighton had a striker, that'd be unbelievable. That's kind of, I suppose, where we are with Kane and Postacoglu's system at this stage. Um, but it's interesting to know what he might think about that. Not that I am even trying to consider life without Kane. Heart to hearts, Adam. Is he is he going? Do you think? How, how do you see it going with this now? I think he's going to stay. It's um, starting to feel that way a bit, isn't it? Yeah, I I really think that when you play that last game of pre-season, and you have him in the team, and he's and he scored four goals, like that. That's not. It's not an irrelevant point. Like Spurs won five one, and Kane scored four. If you then sell him, yeah, it would have been a mental gut punch if he was sold straight after the the tour but we've sort of had a glimpse of what could happen in our own stadium in front of our fans on a great day in the sun to have that ripped away from you would just feel like doubly du doubly painful I think so I, I don't know I mean look if if Levy is happy to be narcissistic enough for his legacy to be the man that sold Harry Kane I don't know what we can do but I, I think after yesterday or yeah, or even more so, it would be an insane decision to sell it's, it's, Kane. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like you say, we talk about friendlies being so inconsequential, but <laughs> that, that it does feel like that is the type of game and that was the type of performance that really can make people think twice about something, especially, you know, hopefully the people higher up at the club, because I just think 
you know, we, we talk about the optics a lot now, don't we? And the mm. optics of that deal now, it, it, it seems almost silly, right? You, we, we're seeing, let's talk about James Madison because we've arguably been, I've been a massive, you know, critic of his in the past, partly due to him being a kind of smug little gooner <laughs> and partly just because I've kind of seen him as a bit of a streaky kind of match of the day player. Sometimes I've felt in some of those games when we've played Leicester, when it's going his way, he's kind of, you know, he's the cock of the walk, if you like. But then other times he just will disappear a bit, go go missing. Um, but since we've lost Christian Eriksen, since we've lost that bridge between midfield and attack, you could feel it so acutely now, right? Now that he's back in there. Now that, now that we have a player of that profile, shall we say, in the team. It's such a relief almost. It, it's like, of course, this is what we've needed this whole time. Obviously, a lot of this is down to Postacoglu's system. But in terms of personnel, we haven't had a player like him since Ericsson. You know, Kulisevsky's the closest thing that's come to it. This is what I was saying yesterday. But even he's been playing off of the wing. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's a muddled comparison. Um, with the amount of chance, like we're saying, you know, the game yesterday, you're just seeing the sort of the way he he brings life to that final third of the pitch and the chances that he could create for Harry Kane. You know, I, I honestly am looking at this and thinking Kane could Kane could post like Haaland numbers next season. He could do, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he, he almost did it last year in Conte's and you know team, Conte and Stellini's team, but. You know, it it's it's something to be excited about, right? Seeing kind of Madison and Kane linking up together. Are you are you sort of feeling similarly enthused about him? Yeah, I don't think I appreciated quite how good Madison was until watching him in a Spurs shirt. And perhaps, as you say, a lot of it is when you don't like a player particularly, mm. you watch a Leicester game with that sort of shrouded bias straight away. Yeah. Oh, what prick Madison is! So you don't <laughs> sort of take the chance to appreciate the good stuff that he does. Um, and you know the Ericsson comparisons are going to be you know come naturally. I think whilst Ericsson was a much well will probably proved to be a better sort of metronome and team leader and engine room for the team that Pochettino had. I think Madison's attacking out, output could exceed what Ericsson gave us. Um, I think the way in which he picks the picks passes, crosses, and you know hopefully his his shooting range will come. Um, he he could easily have, be involved in twenty five goals goals and assists next year if if he is able to stay fit, which is obviously a, quite a big thing with him. But also if he, if they continue to play the way he is, I think he could be one of those players that your heart sinks if you see he's picked up a knock for a week or two. Like I think he could already prove himself to be that important. Well, because I instantly wonder if if we're say creating a system that is reliant on say the talents of somebody like James Madison. My only slight concern is who replaces him in that eventuality. He picks up a knock or he gets a suspension or something like that. Mm. I mean, maybe an Alfie Devine, somebody like that. But that's <laughs> that's a lot of pressure to place on on, yeah. his, on his shoulders, right? You, you'd be thinking he might be having a a Championship or Premier League loan this season um, if 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 Postecoglou doesn't doesn't keep him about. Yeah, I suppose it's Lacelso at this stage who would be seen mm. as the the number two, which again, you know, nothing would give all of us more pleasure if Lo was able to repay uh, some of the fee and the expectations. Um, but, you know, it's a lot to ask of a guy that's basically been exiled from the club for two years to think he's going to come back in now. Now, all, all reports are that he 
he does look good and he's, he's sorted his attitude out, which did appear to be quite a big thing at the start. And Postacoglu seems very happy with the guy. So if he's able to be anything like the player we thought we were going to sign, then that would be fantastic. But yeah, there's there's no one there necessarily that screams, I'm the James Madison replacement, don't worry if he's out. You see, I mean, one of the other things I, I guess is probably worth flagging about Lo Celso is, I don't know if you'd seen... The news came out this week. Well, Alejo Valiz, the new lad that was signing, said that uh, Lo Celso was pretty important in getting the, the deal over the line as well. Said he's going to be there for him and will kind of help him settle into life in London and things like that, which is, that doesn't sound like something a player would say to a young player if he doesn't have an intention to stay in London, stay at the club, you know? I don't, I, he, he wouldn't, I mean, what, what's in it for him to kind of get a deal for Tottenham done, right? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. No, but it also doesn't say, you know, even if it was in you know, his first or second season, Lo Celso doesn't strike you as the kind of person that would be reaching out and making contact. So I guess that's quite optimistic. You know, you would naturally think Romero called him up, you know, the Argentinian hero from the World Cup and said, oh, don't worry, you know, it's great over here and we'll, we'll welcome you in. So it's quite encouraging to hear that it's Lo Celso doing that role, um, which you wouldn't have expected, I don't think, if you know, given a blank canvas and asked which player do you reckon might be the, the guy that reaches out to a new signing. How are you feeling about Romero? No, because we'll talk about the defence. How, how, how are you feeling about him? Hmm. So I was unbelievably down on Vertonghen in the Tim Sherwood era, uh, the, Tim, the, the end of that season, to the point where I had written him off as there's a complete no-hoper, his attitude stinks, there's no chance this guy's going to make it as a top centre-half, just look at how he's playing now. And so I gave Romero probably as much of a pass for, for last season than I've given anyone just off the back of not wanting to be as wrong as I was twice. So I think Romero's got a clean slate to show us that he's worth the investment. I think he has the talent to do it. Um, the way in which we play is probably going to rely on a lot of awful good 1v1 defending, which may suit him uh, more than how we've played in the past because he's just going to be asked off the ball to you know, see man, tackle man, I, I think. And as long as he doesn't go through them with 12 studs in the back of the guy's calf, then we should be okay. Um, and he did that yesterday, though, the bloody friendly, know. you know, on the halfway line. Right. Like, what, just, just, just he, he's get the a embodiment grip on it of it. He is that Roy Keane meme about just going to whack someone to feel something, isn't he? It's like, it, does like, <laughs> it does feel like he just, you know, prances around the afternoon, just feels like, well, I've come out here, I may as well get booked for my troubles. Uh, and, you know, these bookings don't even count, so what a great chance to really lay someone on, <laughs> lay, lay one on someone. Um, look, he's a head case, but I think that could be harnessed quite well, and I, I am fairly optimistic about what we'll get from him. I mean, Ange said after the game, 
when he was asked about Mickey van der Ven, he said, we're actually looking to add a couple of players um, in, in the defence. He, he needs young players that are going to be able to play in an aggressive fashion, play this system, suit the system. I mean, you would say that's, I mean, Romero feels like he's he's ready-made for the, for, for what Ange Postacoglu might want. Mickey van der Ven, that probably suggests that we are, that things aren't over for Tapsoba yet. Um, what you've seen of the defence so far... Say once everyone's settled, we won't talk about Brentford because we don't know who's going to be in or out or what kind of match fitness they're at. But say we do sign a tap sober as well. We do have Van der Ven. Who, who are you, who are you lining up with at the moment? Because for me, right, right now, when I'm one of the immediate things to me is Royale has to start a right back. I can't be having mm-hmm. Pedro Porro back there, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think the defence that they played with yesterday minus Ben Davis for someone is the defence that will be given first crack at the whip. Um, you know, once, if it's Van der Ven, who I assume will be the, the first person to come in, uh, it strikes me as that's the back four that will and should be given the first crack. Um, and I guess, you know, in the way in which Royale, more defensive, Udogi more attacking, maybe you do that with sort of Ben Davis as the left back and Porro as the right back. So you've sort of always got one forward-minded and one slightly more defensive thinking player. I don't know. I don't know how much Ben Davis has even worked as a left-back in pre-season, given Mm. that he appears to be, well, currently first or second choice left Um, centre-half. I'm I'm still a bit disappointed in how the defence hasn't been created, constructed by now. I think it, it was one of those things that we all went away in May thinking, well, we need a new goalkeeper and we so desperately need two or three defenders. And I think of all the things that Postacoglu really could have done with is that time to formulate his plans around his defence as well. And it, it's a bit frustrating that we're likely to go into the first game of the season with no new defenders uh, as, as centre-half. Um, you know, the, the, points, the, point, the points still count just as much now as they do in May. And yeah, um, yeah Ben Davis, lovely bloke. Uh, but is he a left centre half in a back four? I think you're you're stretching it, and you've seen two or three goals in pre season where a cross has gone over his head. It's not his fault. It's, it's not what he's good at, and we all know it. But the fact that we know it means that you would yeah. like to think they would have known it as well. So, you know, a lot. And the worry is that I think we will give Brentford an absolute pasting next week and draw two two, because we'll end up giving away a couple of silly goals that are preventable in the long term with, with signings and short term because players have made errors that we know they're going to make and I think that's going to get quite annoying. Well, let, let, let's pick up on this, mate, because, you know, I, I've, I've seen you on Twitter this, this summer. You've been pretty kind of, you know, not, not in a purple and gold sense, but you've been pretty vocally agitated by the, by the board, by the way they kind of behave, shall we say. I, I'm much the same as you. I've, I've, I've always been somebody that's, mainly cut Daniel Levy some slack and looked for the good in what him and Enoch have done for, for the club but I'm just kind of myself I'm personally getting tired of this I could say this pattern of behaviour of because I it's not about not spending money it's the, the club do spend money it's the way in which we do it it's the way in which we have these kind of seemingly protracted negotiations and deals with with clubs especially like you know Clubs that have no need to sell to us, right? We, we've identified two defenders in Tapsober and, and Van der Ven who are probably respectively two of the better players on their teams. Those clubs don't particularly want to sell them and yet we've managed to allow ourselves to get 
look, a few days off of the weekend now and we still... I mean, Van der Ven seems to be signed, right? But why is this happening now? Why does this happen every single every single summer, right? I mean, where's your... Is this partly where your frustration comes from? Yeah, I think particularly with Van der Ven, um, the, this seemed like a player that was obtainable where Tapsoba maybe isn't. It sounds like Leverkusen are quite keen on stick, on keeping hold of him, in which case there's nothing you can do. Mm. But the, you know, Van der Ven is a player that was linked a month ago and that might be being generous to Tottenham and it's happening now now look we have no idea how transfers are constructed but in all likelihood one centre-half was going to come in it seemed like this guy was a pretty high target from early on and you would imagine that you know an owner who's looking at his team from last year thinking where can I make improvements you know my manager could really do with a defender at this stage now again that may be hugely dismissive of how transfers work but it seems that the kind of thing that could this not have happened two weeks ago three weeks ago when it seemed like it was going to um, it hasn't but you know wh- whatever I, I think my biggest issue with the ownership right now and uh, it's funny because the amount of tweets I've had in the past just with all manner of horrible abuse uh, you know calling me a Levy supporter uh, in, in no uncertain terms uh, which I have been um, but it you know everyone has a line with certain things and I think the way in which they've acted in the last few years with the managerial appointments and treatment of the fans with the ticket prices which has really rankled with me um, th- this summer they, they, my line has been crossed um, and I think that at this stage the Tottenham fans and the club are having to suffer for mistakes made by the owners and you know in my business if I, if I made mistakes I would be expected to rectify them myself and it sort of seems like the club are being made to are being punished sort of for the mistakes made by Levy in, in, in his appointments and, and the board and I don't think that's fair and when you look down the road at the way in which Arsenal have completely revamped the way in which they want to do things and KSE have, you know, are putting their hands in their pockets albeit it may be a loan to Arsenal but they, they are choosing to spend their way uh, to move themselves up and you can't say it, it hasn't worked I mean the, the system they have in place is, is fabulous unfortunately um, and for me it strikes me that Spurs are making a choice to act like this um, you can talk about profits and losses you know the owners at Tottenham will make in the billions from their 22 23 years of owning our club whenever they're sold and they're very keen to point out that they are the custodians of the club so they're passing through you know it's our club well maybe this you know this is romantic but if you're going to make three and a half billion out of Tottenham when you sell it I expect you to spend some of that on the club um maybe that's not realistic but I you know what are we what are we doing otherwise what's the point because well, I mean, because as far as I'm aware, you know the the stadium bill. People reflect back to the stadium bill, the money that that's taken. But that again, that's all borrowed money. That's all money leveraged off of the back of Tottenham having a, an avid fan base that regularly like pump money into the club. Right? It's it's again, that's yeah, not we'll, coming we'll be out of paying it. Make. We'll pay it, and they'll get the benefit of the asset in the sales. So that does, doesn't strike me as fair. But. What, what do we do though, mate? You know, because it's 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 the, we're always we always find ourselves at this impasse, right? It, it, where we get kind of ahead of steam about about the ownership. We, you know, say something has to change, but ultimately we, we're in this place, right, where they they don't have to sell the club, and they probably aren't going to sell the club unless they get a a massive offer, which will likely be from somebody not very nice <laughs> at all, you know, and that's. I guess that's football at large, isn't it? That's not just a Tottenham problem. Um, 
and I, I guess what what is our problem again as individuals is how we carry that forwards right if we choose to you know Newcastle fans have been given that decision last year haven't they when their club's been taken over by Saudi Arabia and I, I, I you know I do think it's difficult I don't think it's just as easy for people to just write okay drop my club I don't really agree with this let's start the Phoenix club let's bin it all off but there's a difference between doing that and acting like you see some fans do on on Twitter and I know that's not always the best barometer of of conversation and of sentiment right but to act with a bit more understanding as to <laughs> as to why people maybe have a have an issue with your with your club's ownership and the direction it's going in but I mean as for Spurs what is the I mean what's the what's the ceiling for us mate really with with, with the way things kind of go on because we've seen this this project under Pochettino where we've come ever so close and not managed to get it across the line we seemingly haven't even in that you know in that period of time doubled down to try and win something in a sporting sense you know achieve sporting success are we just going to be doomed to repeat this are we going to watch this kind of Ange project get excited about it see us play some nice football maybe finish top four at a stretch end of this season then think right we're going to kick on from here and Oh no, no, because we spent a load of money previously, and maybe we'll add one or two players. But you know, because Arsenal are doing Arsenal are doing what Liverpool did previously. When Liverpool came close, didn't quite get it across the line. They've added an Alisson Becker. They've added you know Fabinho. They've added who else? Virgil Van Dijk. Arsenal doing it now with Declan Rice, Havertz, Duran Timber, all the other players they've signed previously as well. I just. Are Spurs going to do that? Are Spurs really going to, to double down to try and get something across the line, do you think? Because this stadium is supposed to be this game changer, isn't it? You know, that's yeah, what we were told. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, there's enough, there's enough receipts uh, in the bank with Tottenham that you could point to a number of things and say, well, you said this, so why isn't this happening? Because you seem to suggest that you're going to do loads of different things when X happened, when Y happened. And we seem to be going around the alphabet waiting for A, B, C, D to be the final thing that clicks into you know, when we can really have a go. I mean, it's not the spending that I have a problem with. And actually, it's not even whether they do or don't spend huge money. I don't expect Spurs to buy Declan Rice or Jude Bellingham. But I'd like there to be a policy, and maybe we're seeing it with someone like Phillips or whatever, that go and get every Jude Bellingham when they leave Birmingham and go to Borussia Dortmund instead of go to Borussia Dortmund. I, I think my biggest frustration with Spurs at the minute is... There isn't any strategy. It's, it's not that I want them to have a strategy whereby they're going to go and buy the best players every year and you know break the bank every single time. I, want, I just want to see them do anything that's coherent. And the thing that frustrates me right now is the inherent randomness of everything they appear to be doing, um, particularly when it comes to player acquisition and, and manager acquisition. Now, you hope that with Postacoglu they've stumbled on something that is going to work and be you know future proofed from a, a football standpoint and I think some people have said that you know being able to watch football that you enjoy really should be a benchmark of, of, of the non-negotiables um, but yeah like you know Ashley Phillips that's that's great I find that quite optimistic the, the Vélez deal I find that optimistic if your policy is going to be we're going to go and find all of the best young players and hoover them up I'm fine that, that's totally fine with that yeah. but, but tell me that's what you're going to do and then go and do it the, the problem I have at the minute is that there doesn't appear to be anything they're trying to do on a consistent basis. That's a good point. That's a good point. How, how are you feeling about the um, the ticket protest, mate? You see the, the Trust have obviously put out their, their statement, you know, talking about not charging fans for loyalty or not, you know, 
can't remember exactly what the strap line is, but it's something mm. to that something to that effect. Um, Martin Bourguier has been featured. You know, the head, one of the trust chairman, I think, is he's been kind of basically all over the media. Is on view for the Lane mm. podcast the other day, um, talking about. I mean, because Danny Kelly on that made a very good point that. You know, when he goes to Spurs, even nowadays, it's it's mostly all old people there. And I still, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm I'm 38 years old, and I regularly say to my mates, like, it feels weird being my age because, other than the actual literal children who are with their parents, <laughs> I'm still one of the younger people generally at Spurs. At least when I look around myself, I kind of feel that way. It's it's not great for the future of the club, is it, to have tickets that are as are expensive as they are, but. Then you've also got to find that balance because it, it's you know it's elite level sport, right? It, you know this well, mate. You're you're a big NFL fan. NFL tickets are outrageous, and I understand the population is much bigger out there. There's there's a greater demand for those tickets, but it's still a it's a comparable elite level of sport in mm-hmm. in some respects, right? Tickets are going to be expensive, so do the club do, do the club have a leg to stand on at all, or is it just out and out greed for for no real reason? Because I think it's something crazy. Like it's it's a minimal percentage of the club's income that this will constitute this this price hike. Whereas it's such a big increase for the supporters on a, on an individual level, right? Yeah, I mean, when you when I go to the NFL, I regularly will pay three hundred dollars for my ticket. But then the whole point of that is it's the one time of the year that I'll go over to Seattle to watch a game, and it is an event it's a day trip for me what well, it's a week trip for me if I'm going to go and do something like that and I actually have no objection to charging the day trippers through the nose for an experience they're going to remember forever what I don't understand is you know could they even do something whereby you know you become a Spurs member at the start of the season and therefore your ticket price is held to the same level as the season ticket for the sake of argument I mean I, I don't know how, how it works but it, it appears that there could be a way to raise ticket prices to maximise the revenue from those that are making a trip to come and watch Spurs, which is fine, because then that then it does become comparable to your Bruce Springsteen concerts that everyone likes to say, well, you know, you wouldn't pay this for a concert if you went 30 times a year, but you would if you were going once, whilst rewarding those that can't go every week for the season ticket, but will look to go seven, eight times a year. It, it doesn't seem that should be that difficult. Well, some people have even suggested... I don't know how seriously or not they have. Some people have suggested that there should be some sort of system in place. And I, I, I don't really know why there shouldn't be this. That if you have had your season ticket for ten plus years or whatever, or for however long you do get your season ticket, why, why doesn't the cost of it actually start to go down? That you get some kind of like loyalty for that, for being there. And obviously, you know, it's not going to whittle down to you paying nothing for a season ticket. But if you're trying to, you know, create a, a, a legacy of new fandom of people who are in the stadium every single week come rain or shine because it's all well and good to charge the day trippers right now whilst we have Harry Kane and Hummin Son and you know we've previously yeah. had players like Deli Ali and whatever people who are highly marketable but what if you know I'm not doomsdaying I'm just saying in a in a in a just in a, in a created sense that if this doesn't go to plan with Ange Postecoglou, if we do continue to plummet down the league and we finish in the bottom half of the table next year, Harry Kane is sold. And we have a few years, we have a fallow period where we are back to kind of something like we were in the mid-noughties where we struggle. We do, none of our signings really come off and we're, we're still punching to even finish in the top eight or something. Is the stadium going to be full up of day trippers then? I don't think it is going to be. 
And then suddenly, are people going to be paying, what, £1,300, £1,400, £1,500 for season tickets? It's, I don't know. I think that there needs to be some type of balance struck there, right? Somehow or another to, to like you say, to reward, well, not like you say, but like people are saying, to reward, say, long-standing season ticket holders, long-standing members and things like that. You you, you know, we we cannot have this kind of ticketing system that is built on this principle of, exponential growth forever and always because the reality is that's not how it works we're seeing this now we're seeing in the midst of a cost of living crisis now people are struggling to even pay for you know the day-to-day living as opposed to having to swallow another cost from let's be honest really i know we like to i get it i know i know that football is, is a release for some people it's an escape for some people people talk about their mental health and such being linked to it but it it is still it's it's a luxury purchase, right? Going to the football mm-hmm. is a luxury. Um, it's it's not it's not a necessity in the same way that paying your rent and buying food for your table is. If if you if you see what I mean, so uh, the club have to find a way to, to 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 reconcile this somehow. And if if the trust protesting this is some way towards that, then then fair enough to them. I mean, I'm not sure I can. I mean, it's a it's a great PR win for them if they do say actually you know, they hold their hands up and say okay, trust we've listened to you, fan advisory board that we you know put together this this summer we actually will listen to what you're saying and go back on that. But I can't see the club swallowing that now. Can can you? No, I mean my hunch is that this protest, which I am probably going to pop down to for a bit, because I'm going to the United game. My instincts are that this protest isn't necessarily to force Tottenham to reduce their ticket prices. I would imagine it's a singular issue that's very easily digestible in the media and you sort of hope that Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher end up talking about the price of tickets on Monday Night Football and you know perhaps it's to start a groundswell whereby the way in which away tickets are now all £30 because there was enough of a movement to help fans. Now that's never going to happen for home tickets but maybe all that they can all be £50 after you know, someone steps in and the league make a decision. So my, I, I would imagine that this protest is hoping to be the first rung on a ladder of something that's taken up and, and looked on from a national scale. Because yeah, I, I don't think that Spurs are going to do anything um, based on a few thousand people, hopefully, standing outside a stadium asking for cheaper tickets. I, I think it's one of those things that you just want to become part of the discourse with a capital D. Do you reckon the, uh, just in your, in your hands, I wonder if the, I'm interested to see if the purple and gold movement is going to somehow try and embrace this trust movement as well and we should see like a, a protest together or if it's just going to become another another kind of tribal thing amongst the fan base <laughs> that people are going to somehow be divided about that the message isn't strong enough or that whatever do you know what i mean yeah i mean the issue with the purple and gold thing is that they've had three or four goes at doing something at the stadium and for whatever reason people are not resonating with it you know they've never had more than 40 or 50 people there despite you know being pretty vocal on, on social media and yeah, you know, fair play from to them for trying I don't happen to agree with a lot of their policies and the way they want to do things so it's not something that I would join into but whatever they're trying to do has not resonated with people enough to make them join in so uh, it might be the kind of thing that if there's hopefully a couple of thousand people standing doing this I'm, I'm sure that's maybe uh, over the top but I, I'm, I'm not sure you necessarily know where the, the purple and gold lot are because it's not really something that's taken 
you know, taken people's imagination, I don't think. Well, I think the biggest problem I would say is, you know, because I'm, I'm somebody that thinks, you know, fair enough if people are getting organised and they're protesting, whatever. I know people like to sort of take the piss out of them quite a bit and stuff like that, but I'm more on the on the fence about it. I think fair enough to them. Like you, I don't really kind of buy into their message, and I think that's partly because I don't know what it is. I don't really, other than Enoch out, which I see everywhere, purple and gold until the club sold. Okay, cool, but that's not that's not a manifesto as such, as far as as far as I'm aware. You know, I, I don't really see what you're actually there, sort of shouting about, other than that you don't like the ownership of the club. And I get that, but it it it's not really a rallying cry for me. Whereas what the trusts are doing, where it's clearly laid out on their website. This is what we're protesting about. This is how we're doing it. This is who we've spoken to. This is how we're going. It just it feels all a lot more organised, right? And I understand protest movements in their infancy. They probably do come from more an emotional place as opposed to a rational place. But I do think there's an opportunity now with the with the trust kind of jumping on the club in this direct action way, shall we say, that there's some room there for for whoever if there even are any organizers if there are any you know masterminds behind any of this purple and gold movement people who are looked to as leaders because again that's something else i would say right there's no clear face to this movement there's there's nobody there it just seems to be a kind of it's a largely organic thing that's spilling out into the real world but this, it's just hard to get behind that especially as well like you know you see kind of <laughs> I get that it's not a centralised organisation at the moment but you see kind of you do see a lot of people who will have the purple and gold in their bios who voice some let's be honest pretty unpleasant anti-Semitic shit all over the internet <laughs> all the time about this it always bleeds into that stuff and that is off-putting for a lot of people right it it, it, it just is or it fucking well should be um yeah. But also, I meant to say you um, were saying it, whether people come back and say, "Well, what can you do um, when it comes to you know moaning about Levy and the owners?" I think just having a moan on the internet is completely fine. Yeah, um, and you know people say, "Oh, it's so boring," and people are just moaning. Well, we have we can't buy the club because we're not we haven't got five billion quid in the bank, so we're just going to have a moan, and I think that's completely fine, and if people want to moan as long as, you know, in a respectful way and talk to each other and say, I'm a bit pissed off about this, that's fine, we're football fans, it's our club, we're allowed to moan about it, uh, I, I, I don't see that as being, you know, all you're going to do is sit there and moan about it, well yeah, it's all I can do. Exactly, about most things, about the government, about <laughs> about energy prices, about the environment, really, you know, okay, we can go out and protest and do these bits here and there, but at the same time... It's nice to just be able to vent. It's you know. Yeah, exactly. We, That's fine. We talk we talk about mental health in twenty twenty three. People like to you know just get things just to vent. That's it, right? It's they're allowed to do that. Um, I was going to say <laughs> we've <laughs> been linked to James Ward Prowse, but I see that the source there is the Daily Star. So I mean, I don't think we even need to grace out of any conversation. To it. Would you take him though? Would you take him, Adam? Do you like James Ward Prowse? Uh, I probably like him more than I like Hoiberg, but that's probably the, the you know he, he would be a good fifth choice centre midfielder. Do we really need that? Uh, I don't know. Jed, according to Dan Kilpatrick as well, uh, Jed Spence and Ndombele are now transfer listed at Tottenham. Um, Ndombele, I mean, just 
that we've we, this conversation's been done to death. It's a shame because it felt like there was going to be you know a bit of a maybe a a third or fourth wind for him under Ange Postacoglu that those players that the personalities might have somehow meshed, but evidently not. Um, Jed Spence to me feels feels like a bit more of a shame. It feels. You know, I was I was actually pretty excited about the signing of him uh, last year. Conte jettisoned him almost immediately, called him a club signing, and if he is getting kind of booted out the door, one can only speculate as to why that might be. But it feels it feels like a shame. It feels like a player with a skill set who who could have maybe thrived under under a manager like Ange Postecoglou, right, and in this system. Yeah, or if not him, he strikes me as the kind of player that you could send out on loan to a Premier League club. And, you know, instead of just selling him straight away, if he ends up being really good and you want to sell him anyway because you've got Royale and Porro and you're happy with that, well then, if he's a 30 million player, then why not sell him as a 30 million player for us and let him have a year playing in the Premier League and showing himself off as as the guy that we thought we were going to have? It, it seems a little bit presumptuous and early to just be cutting all ties because he's so young that he could develop into anything and I, I, I'd kind of like to see that happen under our watch yeah I, I mean possibly you know from from what we understand is somebody that does embrace kind of youth talents and you know Destiny Adoji we're already seeing who just I mean let's talk about him actually because to me he was <laughs> he was one of the stars of the show yesterday and he just instantly looks like a first team player to me right it's not kind of one of these oh we might need to bed him in we need to be patient like he just looks brilliant already as, as, as far as I can see yeah there's that the sort of he is him or I am him sort of meme thing that goes around yeah. who don't he is him like for a guy to come in and it's unfair that I'm going to sort of bash on Sessegnon in the same way uh, whilst talking about Doggy, but in terms of a, a young player coming into a team and being expected for fairly big money to show what you can do, the way in which he has just taken the mantle and just like, yeah, I'm here, uh, you can rely on me and I'm going to be brilliant, uh, is not something that we're very used to seeing from a lot of young players at Spurs. And of all the excitement from yesterday, his might be the most long term that I'm thinking because he just looked sensational, didn't he? Yeah, I mean just brilliant and just it, it's, it's got that same width of it about Delhi you know when <laughs> we signed him from MK yeah. Dons we thought oh, it might take a couple of years let's not get ahead of ourselves and then straight away you were just like no he's he's brilliant like he's really really good and he's just he's a first team player because instantly I'm not thinking oh is, can we get a tune out of Reggion is Sessignon going to come back and actually <laughs> play any part in it what about even Perisic I'm like no it's it's his give it to Destiny like 100% and I've actually quite liked in this preseason anyway, seeing even Perisic play more of that advanced role as he has done under under Postacoglu, right? And probably has done throughout most of his career, really, prior mm-hmm. to coming to Tottenham. So yeah, his it, crossing is so good off both yeah. feet that it would seem mad to cut ties when you look like you're gonna be a team that dominates the ball, gets into a lot of crossing positions. I, like I don't think we've got anyone that could mimic what Kulusevsky does better than Perisic right now to be honest I, I mean it, it looks like we're going to keep hold of him as well because it, it seemed going into the summer it was just almost like you know it was academic wasn't it like okay well Perisic is out the door Conte's gone so he's going to go off on a free transfer to somewhere maybe even back to Inter but that died down pretty sharpish didn't it and 
I fully expect him to to be part of Tottenham's plans for next year. And like you say, I'm 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 actually not against that at all. I think because I was I was heavily critical of even Perisic. I felt quite disappointed in hmm. the I don't know just the lack of anything from him in the sort of first part of his career, Tottenham career. But post World Cup, post Conte, really, I thought he looked like a, a, another player, which was maybe closer to the even Perisic that we thought we'd signed. So it's good. You are uh, you concerned about Kulusevski at all, mate? He he. <laughs> he didn't look that the best during preseason, but I thought the second half yesterday he suddenly came into his own again. Looked a bit more like his old self. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't sound concerned. I think he probably needs to find his rhythm again. And look, ultimately, this is yesterday was sort of the second real game that these players have had since May after a half against West Ham, which was literally the first half of preseason football. It's been a pretty stagnated preseason, unfortunately. Um, but it looked like he was getting his rhythm back in the second half. You know, there, there's something about watching him in front of the South Stand that uh, it just fits the, the way. In, I don't know. There's something watching him with the ball cutting inside with the, the crowd to the crowd to the right of the screen. It, it just looks very recognisable and, and comforting in a weird way. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm not worried about him in the slightest. You've already kind of touched on your your thoughts about what might happen at Brentford, but it is going to be our first Premier League game of the weekend. <laughs> Other than obviously the obvious, which is a Spurs win, what do you want to see from from the game, mate? And do you think we are capable at this point in time of beating a team like Brentford, who are, you know, they are very well organised. They're a they're a good team. Thomas Frank has done a great job there. I know it's a, a trite observation, but they're they're a tricky customer, and it's it's not a pleasant first game of the season, right? No, they strike me as the the archetypal thing that where your dad says, you know, this lot of no mugs. Um, they, they really are. Yeah. Yeah, they, they really are like that. Um, and look, obviously you want to win, obviously. But I think seeing them, play, seeing the team play in the way they have done against Shakhtar and West Ham and even Lion City Sailors, just just so we know that wasn't a mirage and they're going to shrink back into the old Tottenham that we hate. Um, someone made an interesting point that Postacoglu was blaming himself for the lack of. You know that those last ten minutes in the first half, Spurs sort of seeping back into their old way, and he said, "Well, I need to to make them play more." And it's as if like they've got to sort of break down some break down some barriers to get themselves back into feeling comfortable playing proper front foot football again, as opposed to something that is going to come naturally to them. So, what you hope is that if if we concede a goal in the first few minutes, God forbid, that the team doesn't just shrink into themselves and goes back to what we've, we've hated watching. My hunch is that they won't and that they will be able to show some character, but I just want to see the, the traits that, that have stood out in pre-season um, project into an actual game that matters. And what's what's success look like for you this season, mate? Like, What are you, what are you hoping for from Spurs and what do you think we can realistically do? I mean, it's hard to say I know right now because we've only yeah. seen a, a tiny bit of Postacoglu system, but I'm sure you get what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, this might seem overly optimistic or even harsh on Postacoglu, but we all really wanted Pochettino to be the manager towards the back end of last season. And I think if he was the manager, we'd probably come fourth this season without too mm. much hassle. And as a result, you know, the choice that the club have made is to put Postacoglu in charge, which is totally fine. But I think there's enough quality in the squad in, and the team that fourth should be should be the target. Um, I don't see Newcastle and Man United being 
leagues ahead of us from a personnel standpoint and if we play yeah. the right football um, I think you know I'm seeing a lot of well this season doesn't matter and let's just come fifth or sixth I think that's a little bit negative I, I, I think that we've every right to be you know have a high expectations because we're we're a big club we've been a perennial Champions League team in the last decade so let's go and do it again uh, and if you don't get it for whatever reason fine but I, I, I do find this idea that this season isn't important. It's next year that really matters. Uh, I, I, I'm not with that at all. I think Spurs should hit, hit the ground running, and I think we should be better than 15 teams in the league at least, and just, just go and win games and be good. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.